Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live and This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live on the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will discuss the question, What is the Gospel? We will be studying what the Bible teaches. Our guest speaker is based in Indiana, in the United States of America. More about our guest after we've had some music. Amen. 
What is the Gospel? We will discuss this subject tonight with Elder John Skeet of Templed Restored Ministry. Temple Restored Ministry was established in 1990 by Elder John and his wife, Sister Wendy Skeet. Elder John and Sister Wendy have been involved in various aspects of ministry for 38 years. They employ a unique style of teaching and have shared studies on both health and the gospel across America. Their international calls to ministry have taken one or both of them to Europe, Africa, South America, Asia and Australasia. Let's now call Elder Skeet and see if he's available. Hello. Yes, I'm... Good evening. Elder Skeet, you are live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. How are you this evening, Elder Skeet? I'm doing fine by God's grace. Praise the Lord. Glad to hear so. Well, Elder Skeet, tonight we will be discussing these questions together. What does the Bible teach is the message for this time. What does the Bible say that the gospel is? How is the gospel seen practically in a true believer's life? What does the Bible teach us about Jesus' life? And by what means does the work of the gospel come to an end? So, Elder Skeet, before we start our discussion this evening, shall we have a word of prayer together, please? Certainly. Our gracious and kind and merciful Father in heaven, we praise you, Lord, for the thousand blessings that you've given us, seen and unseen. We are so grateful that you have left us the word of God, which shines as an exceeding bright light to Show us the way in this dark world. Bless us now as we open your word, and we ask that you will send your spirit as our teacher to write new things in our hearts, because we've asked it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Elder Skeet, what does the Bible teach is the message for this time. Before we look at the Bible answer to our first question, I would like to take just a minute to introduce our subject and give a little context. In most of the countries in the global north, which are the nations north of the equator, Christianity is in a decline that's been decades coming. All across Europe and North America, the Church of Christ is losing both members and fervency. Let's let's take England, for example. If 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 you were to Google Christianity in England, you would come across studies that show that in the 2021 census that just 46% of the population in England and Wales described themselves as Christian. I saw an article that said that this is the first time that it's dropped below 50% in 1,500 years. Just 10 years ago, 59% of people in England and Wales claimed to be Christian. And and even here in in America where this is the great Christian nation, the same thing is happening. People are leaving the church. In, in 2019, um, only 65% of Americans described themselves as Christians, where 10 years ago, it was 87%. Right. And, and part of this steep decline is because the church has, in many cases, they've abandoned or abbreviated the pure gospel message. The churches are preaching that Jesus died, that you can be forgiven, 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 that you have a new record in heaven. And this is true, but it's not the whole truth. It's not even what Jesus and the New Testament writers emphasize. Some parts of of contemporary Christian Christianity are distorting and forsaking the original gospel message. I remember um, a few years back, um, there was an article in Time magazine on August 9th, 2004, it was entitled, The Gospel According to Spider-Man. And, and the article, you can, you can Google it, you can still read it today. The article was talking about an eight-part series on Catwoman, Discovering My True Identity. The churches now in America, they're, they're using all kinds of gimmicks to get nice. people to come to church. 
um, um, in June of 2020, the Grace Baptist Church right here in, in, in Troy, New York, um, they had a raffle. They said, come to church on Sunday morning. We're going to give away a free AR-15 assault rifle in church service Sunday morning. So, so you're seeing that as the churches are declining, as they're departing from the message that they have to resort to all of these gimmicks. Nice. And your first question is, what does the Bible teach? Is the message for this time? I just like to look at two wonderful scriptures. Um, it is interesting to note that when Jesus came down to this dark planet to redeem the human race, um, heaven designed that he would only have a short public ministry, just three and a half years. He wasn't here for 10 or 12 years working, just three and a half years. So, so Jesus had no time. He had no time to waste. Every day he had to be right on point concerning the most important message the world would ever hear. So what did Jesus preach? You, the question is, what does the Bible teach us in message for this time? We have to yes. look at the greatest example, Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So he didn't have much time. And so the message he thought that needed, that he knew needed to be preached was called the gospel of the kingdom. That Greek word for gospel there is good tidings or good news. And you'll notice that it, it addressed the whole man. He had teaching for the mind, preaching the gospel for the soul and healing for the body. The second text I'd like to use to answer the question, what does the Bible teach us a message for this time, is Mark chapter 16 and yes. verse 15. Jesus had a short time to work. Jesus knew that his disciples would have a short time to work. And so this is how he instructed them in Mark 16, 15. He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible teaches that the message for this time is the same message that Jesus preached the gospel. It's the same message he commissioned his disciples to preach the gospel. And anyone today that believes that time is short should be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. yes. Amen. Yes. And, you know, um, I have the same Bible verse here in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And um, see, because it says here also, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So you have a clear contrast. And people don't like to hear the second part. They always like to hear the first part, you see. But the Lord is making um, a clear contrast here. And um, it's either you believe then that you're saved, but you believe, or you believe not and you'll be damned. And so, yeah. um, you know, anyway... I just thought to just to, to add that basically because um, it's either life or death. This is a that's matter of, of life and death, and that's why we're here tonight, both Elder Skeet and myself. We, by the grace of God, are offering you life through the Word of God. So, Brother Skeet, what does the Bible say that the gospel is? Okay, to answer that question, the text I would like to start with with is First Corinthians fifteen. Yes. And I'm going to read quickly down through one through six, because here Paul actually gives us a definition of the gospel. First Corinthians 15, starting at verse one, says, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter, yes. then of the twelve, that's a small number, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. So here in 1 Corinthians 15 
in those first few verses, I I like to make some observations here. Yes. Uh, this scripture is beginning to explain why Christianity is in such a decline in Europe and in North America. It, it, Paul said that the gospel is best given by people that have first received it. You know, there's so many people in the church that are they're not living the life, and so they're trying to share it, but people are not coming under conviction. No decisions are being made yes. because it, it has to be given best. It can be given by those who haven't. You can have an atheist reading uh, out of the Bible. You can have a, a computer reading scripture, and you can still get some truth out of it, but it's best given when someone has received it first and has Holy Ghost power to share Amen. it. The other thing that we note here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that the gospel talks about sin. In England and America, most mainstream churches are not preaching about sin. Yes. And that's what the gospel centers in. You know, the Bible says, Now shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew Amen. 121. So for a church to be spiritually prosperous, it has to teach people how Jesus can get sin out of their mind, out of their hearts, out of their homes. And it said in this passage, in verses um, five and six, that the gospel was seen, that Jesus, when he was resurrected, that many people saw him. And that's the good news is when you actually see yes. Jesus, when you see that he he's lived that life, he's died, he was buried, and now he is in front of you. You can see him um, by, by the eye of faith today, but back in those days, you could see him face to face. Yes. Our second scripture that I would like to use to define the gospel um, we'll just look at just two scriptures. Our first one we, was 1 Corinthians 15. Our second scripture is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Radio listeners, we don't need gimmicks or Catwoman or Spider-Man. The message of a crucified and risen Savior is the power of God to save our souls. That Greek word for power there is dunamis. Yes. And it means power for performing miracles, moral power, excellence, moral power, excellence of the soul. It's the same word from where we get dynamite. And so, so, so the gospel, it is, it is the dynamite of God to just blow away and to destroy all that stands in the way of that work of redemption. Yes. And notice in verse seven, 17 of Romans 1, it says, Therein, there in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So when the gospel is present, that holy life of Jesus will start to manifest and it's little by little that as the, as the believer has a little bit more faith, more of that life is manifest. More of that life is manifest. And that, that life of Jesus will be seen by those near them, by a small group of people, and eventually by a large group of people. Yes. Amen. You know, Elder Skeeton, I'm thankful that you have brought out this point, that it is not enough to just talk about the gospel but one needs to live the gospel. And, and, you know, there's too many people that just like to talk and argue and use the scripture as, you know, just to debate when there's no power. They're living in sin, but yet they have the audacity to use the holy word of God as a, you know, just as a debating tool, not realizing what's in their hands and how it disgusts, I should say, heaven, that, you know, that the holy word of God is used in such a way it's it's sacred you know it's 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 and um it's the gospel is to be an experience how dare we sinful human beings seek to talk about god unless we actually live by the power of god and and listeners i'm glad that elder skeet has brought this point out and i'd like everyone to think about this matter and to digest it as we move on now then, how is the gospel seen practically in a true believer's life? That's a very good question. Every true Christian 
reenacts the experience of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection through their own personal conversion. That's when the old man or the old woman dies. And then that person goes down and comes up during the water of baptism. They actually reenact what Jesus did literally. They go through that same experience spiritually. The true Christian actually has the same experience that Jesus has. You can read this in Romans chapter 6 in verses 3 through 7. And it starts out, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So, yes. so here Romans 6 explains clearly that every true Christian is to have the same experience spiritually that Jesus had literally. There is a death, a burial under the water, and a raising up out of the water to live a new life that other people can see. Yes. So, so what is supposed to die? And more importantly, why is it to die? We just have to read the next two verses. Romans 6, the next two verses, verses 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. So the gospel is seen in the true believer's life when the old man, The old selfish, proud nature is crucified. And, you know, death by crucifixion, it it, it can happen in one day, but usually it's a slow process. It's it's usually a prolonged, agonizing process to be crucified. And for us to crucify our stubborn nature, it it, it takes some time. It's a a battle and a struggle. How was that old man put to death? Romans 8.13 answers that. It says, Romans 8.13 says, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Yes. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So, so we have to pray and invite God's Spirit to come in and kill the old nature and its deeds. Um, when, when, that, when that old man and that old woman is crucified, what does it look like? You, you start to walk in a new life. I remember when I was a young man, um, I was raised in a Christian home and um, my parents spoke um, pure language. But when I went to high school, I was hanging around people that they use profanity and I began to use profanity. But I would use it at school. But when I came home, I didn't use any profanity. And I remember one day I was standing in the kitchen next to my father and my mother and a a cuss word slipped out of my mouth. My father looked over at me. His eyes were big as stars. Right. <laughs> my father punched me right in the chest. I was like, oh, man, I was just shocked. You know, I was, I was big enough. I got to push my father over. But it was, it was like somebody had, um, had, had had a heart attack and they put the paddles on your chest. Yes. My father, you know, nowadays they would call that child abuse. But it, it awakened something in me. And I said to myself, I have to stop using this kind of language. But it was a struggle to change how I spoke. And that whole process, when the old man, the old woman, it's bent towards rebellion, it's bent towards sin. And so the work of crucifixion, you have to invite the spirit to come in and to kill the old man, to kill the old woman so that you can live a new life. The the next text I'd like to read, um, this is just the only, this is only three texts I have here. The next text, is um, answering the question, what what does it look like when you rise to walk in the newness of life? You're dead to, to the old man and you've gone to the baptismal pool. So, so how can we understand what the new life looks like? And you can read that in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Yes. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a wonderful text because it's explaining how the gospel is seen practically in the believer's life. Um, when the old man is crucified, it's, it's no longer you, yes. but Christ living in you. So, so day by day, you have to keep asking Jesus, what should I do in this situation? Where should I go? Um, um, who should I talk to? Um, yes. Lord, take control of my feelings. Take control of my thoughts. Um, um, live out your life within me. And as, you, as you're praying this, once the old man is crucified, Christ can live within you. Yes, yes. Amen. And um, I thank you for sharing your personal testimony, Elder Skeet, because, you know, many a times, many Christians, they think that after they've given themselves to the Lord and are seeking to live the new life, that they can still hang around the old company that they had spent time with um, before conversion, you see, because by beholding, you become changed. And you know, yes. it's it's the the power of association is far more powerful than people realize, listeners. So, yes. if any of you are struggling, that's you know, and you're thinking, why is there no ch real change in me? And you believe you're doing your best. Look at who you have have company with, who who, you, who, who you're spending your time with. Are you spending time with Jesus and and with those who will strengthen your spiritual walk, or are you spending more time with your friends who who you knew before in the world who don't really care about the Lord, you know, and who are living a life of sin, basically? Yes. So. Praise the Lord, and um, you know, for the practical advice, Elder, that you've given to us, and for that example, you know. Yes. Let me just share one more scripture before we yeah, go sure. to the next question. Um, uh, because the question that you asked here, question three, how is the gospel seen practically yes. in the true believer's life? There's a story in the Bible, it's found in John chapter 11, that I'm sure that the radio listeners are familiar with. It's about a man named Lazarus who became sick. And his yes. sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus, but Jesus tarried and Lazarus died. But after he was dead and buried for four days, Jesus raised him from the, from the grave, from the tomb. And, and, and I can imagine Lazarus with enthusiasm talking about Jesus after that. He, he could say, you know, I had a fever and I was weak and I, I was getting weaker and weaker and then I died. And, and then my eyes opened and I had cloths over my eyes and I, I realized I was alive again and I pulled all these uh, grave clothes off and I went and I told everybody how I had gotten sick, sick, sick and died and Jesus brought me back to life. And, and, and the excitement that was in Lazarus' life after coming through this yes. death, burial, and resurrection, and his excitement about the miracle worker and uh, made him a walking miracle. And there's a, one scripture I'd like to read, on, just as closing on this thought. The Bible in John 12, 9 through 11, John chapter 12, verse 9 says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he, Jesus, was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, yes. whom he'd raised from the dead. It says, but the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Verse 11 says this, very powerful. It says, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. You see, what the world needs to see today is people that used to cuss and they stopped cussing. Amen. People that fornicate but they know but they become pure people that used to lie all the time they don't lie they used to steal all the time they don't steal and when people see someone that has been dead and is walking a new life it says many people will believe on jesus and that's what the world is waiting to see and amen. that's how christianity is practically seen in the life amen amen that's it they'll be living testimonies of the power of god changing lives listeners so can't have it clearer than that, than what the elders say to us this evening. And that moves us on so um, nicely to the next question. What does the Bible teach us about Jesus' life? Okay. In question three, our previous question, we read Galatians 2.20. I'm just going to read that again. Mm 
Yes. Because the current question is, what does the Bible teach about Jesus' life? In Galatians 2.20, it says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So what's really important for the born-again Christian, for the Christian that's that's self has been crucified, they've gone, they've been baptized, what's really important is for Christ to live in them and for them to understand what kind of life Jesus lived. Yes. What kind of character what kind of character does he have? Because if he's living in you, the same things that were seen in Jesus needs to be seen in you and in I. And um yes. you know, if 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 the 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 proof of a Christian is how much does their life line up with Jesus' life? If somebody came to you and they said they were a dentist, and when they smiled, you looked at their teeth and there was just holes everywhere. Teeth were black. They had calculus built up all on them. They had gum disease. You would say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to come to you to work on my teeth. Or, or if you went to somebody and they said that they were, uh, that they made shoes, they were a cobbler, and you look at their shoes and they've got holes in them, the leather's torn out. I mean, Whatever you do for a living, that's, you should be doing that on a high level if you're going yes. to promote it. And so if you say that you're a Christian, but your character is just not like Gabriel, but it's more like Lucifer, then you're the, a poor advertisement for Christianity. Unfortunately, most Christians don't spend much time examining the character of Christ. So I'm just going to run through just a few Bible texts. And so I'd like for the radio listeners just to meditate in your own mind and say to yourself, do I need to pray and ask for more of this trait to be manifest in my life? Because when self is crucified, Christ will live in us. And the life that he lived will be lived out in our lives before others. So let's look at just a few traits. Jesus was loving. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John 13, 34 and 35. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are not warm, loving, kind people. Some of them are rather cold yes. and they only love their family, the people that are close to them. But if they see a, a stranger in need, they're unmoved. But Jesus had that love that was unquenchable. And by his life and also by his death, he revealed that love. Jesus was also meek and humble. In Matthew 11, verse 29 and 30, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That Greek word for meek means gentle, humble. And um, so if we are asking Jesus to live in us, we need to humble ourselves down. We need yes. to put other people first. We need, to, we need to not have pride in our own opinion. We need to be able to yield our opinion um, to others. We don't have to have our way all the time. And when you're really meek and humble, you actually consult God for every decision. Instead of you making up your own mind, you ask God, what, how should I go? How should I make this decision? What should I do here? You know, my wife and I, we, we think differently. If we're in a car and we're driving and we pull into a parking lot, I would turn left and she'll always turn right, you know. And um, I have to just catch myself. I said, oh, sweetheart, you should go over there. When she's driving, I have to let her decide where she wants to park the car. And, and, and that meekness and that humility, when people see it, it's attractive. And that's how Jesus was. Amen. The Bible Amen. says in Isaiah 42, 2, he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Jesus didn't do anything to attract attention to himself. And a lot of times we, we spoil our meekness by dressing a certain way or, or doing things to cracking jokes so people will think we're witty and humorous and we and, and when we start attracting attention to ourselves and we're losing that meekness and that humility that Jesus had. Yes. Another character trait Jesus had was that he was compassionate. The Bible says in Matthew 9 verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them 
because they fainted and were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. The Greek word for compassion here means to have bowels that yearn, yes. that, to feel sympathy or pity. And um, I can tell you that my experience, unfortunately, even with church members, is that they've become aloof and a little bit hardened. I was at church one weekend and I was sharing, I was teaching, and I mentioned that that when I see people panhandling on the street, they'll have a sign out, you know, um, I need money for food or whatever. I told the church that I, I try to always go give them a dollar. And I think that God gives us these opportunities so that we can show our compassion and be free from selfishness. And brother, that statement provoked a firestorm in church. People got angry. They wanted to stone me with hymnals. They're like, those people are con men. Those are drug addicts. They want cigarettes. And I said, well, we don't know that. Yes, and yeah. um, just talking to people about showing compassion on the street to strangers, it provoked a, a tremendous reaction. And I think that part of it is, is, is selfishness. A part of yes. it is, if you feel like they're going to buy cigarettes, well, then go buy them a sandwich or something. But don't just, every time you see somebody, you just assume that, that they're a con person. The Bible says that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Yes. And yes, there are con men out there, but don't let your love wax cold. Don't let your compassion wax cold. Another trait that Jesus had, I'm not going to be able to go over all of these, but one of the other traits he had was that he was joyful and cheerful. Amen. The um, Bible says in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, Jesus said. So Jesus was a, he was an upbeat, cheerful person. Yes. You know, I, I meet people all the time and I call them the mean and sour saints, always grumbling about something, complaining. We should stop singing the song of murmur and we should be praising God. We should be upbeat and cheerful. Um, in all circumstances. And that's how Jesus was. That's why the children loved to come sit on his lap because he always had a smile, even under discouraging circumstances. He was cheerful. And I'll just mention just one more because our yes. time is running. And that is that Jesus was uncomplaining and had pure speech. In Isaiah 53, in verse seven, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Over in 1 Peter 2, it talks about in verse 21 on down that, that there was no guile in his mouth, that when he was reviled, he didn't respond in kind. Yes. And, and, and we need, if we're going to have Jesus living in us, we need to be uncomplaining. We need to be, um, need to bite our tongue. Every time we're tempted to murmur and complain, and even under trying circumstances, sometimes it's better to say nothing at all than to murmur and complain or to point fault. And so um, if we want Jesus to live in us, we should study the attributes of his character yes. and pray every day and ask God to make us loving, meek, compassionate, cheerful, uncomplaining, so forth and so on. Yes, amen yeah. to that. You know, Elder Skeeton, under the, on that last point that you have shared with us, I myself also try to encourage people to have Bible studies on his character traits. You know, you could take um, like the mercy of Jesus, do a Bible study yes. on, on the mercy of Christ, on his kindness, you know, as yes. you said, on his joy. Those are beautiful studies to, to you know, to... Um, to do and and to spend time with because that draws you into a more close relationship with god and it's it's highly beneficial you see so as you said you know we, there's so much that we can learn of god if, if we're willing to just to take the time to spend with him so um yeah. amen to that amen to that now as you said time is moving on but finally um by what means does the work of the gospel come to an end the gospel comes to an end in the last generation when its saving message has been presented to every person on this planet. Now, yes. now that is not humanly possible. New people are born every day. It will take supernatural assistance to accomplish this. 
But the commission that Jesus gave, I want you to notice that it's a promise. It's found in Matthew 24, verse 14, where it reads, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So it didn't say this gospel of the kingdom might be preached to all the world or it can be preached. It said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. So it's, it's given as a promise. And this witness that the whole world and all the nations will see will be a manifestation of Jesus' beautiful, sterling, magnificent, righteous life in his people. How do we know that? Romans chapter 9 and verse 28, our next text, Romans chapter 9, verse 28 says, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. So this tells us that the way that the work will be finished is that Jesus' beautiful, righteous life will be seen in the last generation. And when people see that life, they'll say, oh. I want to be like that. Or they'll say, no, no, don't want it. I don't want to be like that. And that's going to bring the whole world to a big decision when his righteousness is manifest. In um, Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, because, you know, the world is actually waiting for that. It's waiting to see Christians who live just like Christ. And in Romans 8 verse 19, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That's an interesting text. I'm going to read it again. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. What is that talking about? It's saying that all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to reveal themselves. It's not talking just about people. It's saying that that the birds are waiting, the animal kingdom's waiting, the earth is waiting, the sea is waiting, the sky is waiting for the holy sons and daughters of God to appear. My last Bible text is 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. The question is, by what means does the work of the gospel come to an end? 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's the second coming. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what should we be doing? Verse three, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So how does the gospel come to an end? It's when God is going to clean up and purify his church. And they're going to they're going to have people that have died, been buried. They're walking in a new life. They're going to have their characters changed. They'll be praying that the Spirit will put those wonderful traits in them. And when that is seen, um, then people will make a decision whether they'll accept Christ or not. Yes. Amen. Elder Skate, we'll have a break for some music and we'll come back with some closing thoughts.
heart isn't right with the Lord. And you're trying so hard, the world keeps pulling you down. Don't look to yourself when you're facing those challenges. Just look unto him and you'll see where the balance is. He has the power and he longs to give it to Is the gospel. Elder Skeet, can we have some closing thoughts this evening, please? Radio listeners, unfortunately, in many places, the Christian church is going backwards. The fire is going out. Many are becoming lukewarm or cool or, or worse yet, cold. Many religious leaders, not all, but many are turning to gimmicks in pop culture instead of the life-changing message of a crucified and risen Savior who empowers his followers to walk in newness of life. Friends, all creation is waiting to see a fresh crop of modern-day Lazarus, sons and daughters of God who meditate on the lovely character of Jesus and pray that through his spirit, he will come and live his life in them. May all of us move forward mightily in this new life in Christ, that his righteousness may be seen soon and that the end may come. Amen. Amen. Elder Skeet, shall we have a word of closing prayer now, please? Certainly. Our wonderful, loving, compassionate Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, which shines a spotlight on our current situation, not only our spiritual condition, but for the medicine that will cure us. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the old man and the old woman crucified by your spirit and that we might walk in a new life, that we might have that loving, compassionate, patient, meek, humble, cheerful character of Jesus so that we might lighten this world with your glory. Bless all the listeners. Help us to grow into that image to not only look for, but hasten the day of your soon coming, because you've asked it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Elder Skeet, thank you for joining us tonight on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Listeners, if you have any questions, or if you would like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org you can send a text message to 07944062786. If you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address, and we will send you a booklet called God With Us. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At chapter 68, you will find the subject righteousness and life. This section will give you more information about today's topic. You can also listen to and download our radio show podcasts at https colon forward slash forward slash voice dash i n dash t h e dash wilderness dot podcast page dot io forward slash if you would like to support Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, then please send your donations through our website at vitwradio.org. 
Click on the page called About Us. You can donate to us there. On next week's show, we will explore the subject, The Devotional Life of Jesus. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Until next week, good night and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the internet. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week.